dashed nearby. And so the idea is that Jesus would then set out a little bit onto the lake, and then he would teach. And then his voice would resonate over the water, and he would be able to be heard, and he also would not then be able to be crushed by all the humanity that wants to touch him and heal them and all of that stuff. We haven't had any pictures for a while. We don't have any maps. I could show you a map with a big dot that says Galilee, if that would make you happy. But we're just going to look at some pictures. So here is a picture of the Sea of Galilee that I took when we were there. You can't really tell, but it was very tranquil. It was the sun was rising, I believe, and that's right over the Sea of Galilee. And the next picture, I didn't take this picture because that would have had to be up really, really high. But this is a picture of what's called the Cove of the Parables, which as legend would say, is where Jesus gave this and probably some other teachings, right? And as you can see, it's shaped like a horseshoe. And so you can see all the, they, they say several thousand people would be able to settle on the shore there and, and a boat would be able to be set out and Jesus could then proclaim and teach and people would be able to hear him. They've actually done nerdy scientific experiments to see that a voice does travel quite well if you are out in the cove of the parables. Look at that. Who knew, right? So Jesus sitting on a boat that's floating out on the lake a little ways. He told them many things in parables. And so what is a parable? One commentator says it is a truth communicated by comparison of something that is known. So you're comparing something with something else that is more familiar. It's an extended metaphor. It is, uh, as the Greek word literally means, it's to place beside. So you're saying this is like this, and you're comparing it. But the this is something that's very well known. And if you are in Palestine in the first century, what's very well known is farming. And so people get seeds, people get this, this sower, people get the understanding of crops and things that are harvested, right? This is rural Palestine where there are lots of farmers. And this parable, perhaps one of the most famous of Jesus, if not the most famous of Jesus, many of you in your Bibles have a section title that reads the parable of the sower. But really a better title for this would be the parable of the soils, because it's really about the soils, as we'll find out. It's about what happens to the seed as a result of where it falls. And so let's read some of this again to get our bearings. Let's pick up in verse 3. And Jesus, again, from the boat, he says, and he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, <clears throat> since they had no depth of soil. <coughs> Excuse me. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on the good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so Jesus says there was a sower who went out and sowed seed, meaning a farmer that goes out and then casts the seed where he would like it to go. Right? And he's being very generous with the seed, of course, because you want to make sure that you actually do get a crop. So maybe you're not exactly targeting where you want it to go. You just want to lay down a lot of seed without being wasteful, of course, because seed isn't free. But you want to make sure you have a lot of seed happening there, enough to do the job. And the seed falls on different kinds of soil, four different kinds of soil. 
Some fell along the path where the soil was hard, where people have walked on it, and the dirt was very, very hard, and so therefore the seed had nowhere to go. And the birds saw the seed, and they came down, and they scooped it up, and they had a little bit of a snack, right? The seed couldn't penetrate there. Second, some of the seeds fell on rocky ground, and most likely this wasn't rocks themselves. This was like uh, probably a thin layer of dirt and then bedrock or limestone or something underneath that. So right away the soil was warm, so the seeds liked that, so they started to grow right away, but then they couldn't grow past the rocks, so they had no depth of root. And when the sun came, and the Middle Eastern sun, if you've ever been there, you know what that feels like. It's unrelenting, and they scorched those little plants right away. They did not survive. The third kind of soil falls into the soil that's already inhabited by thorns. And these are nasty thorns. The seed starts to grow, but the thorns block the sun. Commentators say that sometimes those, those uh, thorns could be several feet in height. They block the sun. They sucked up all the nutrients from the soil so that the, the new plants were competing with the thorns for nutrients. And they just didn't have enough. They just didn't ever take root enough to get a harvest, right? And the last situation is the one that the farmer wants. The seed falls on good soil, on fertile soil. The plants put down good roots. They grow healthy and they grow strong and they yield a crop. And we see that it's either 30, 60, or even 100-fold. In Palestine in the first century, if you had a crop that was tenfold, that was a good crop, and so Jesus saying that there be 30 or 60 or 100-fold is astronomical. It's doable, but it's astronomical. Jesus then drops a very familiar, him who has ears, let him hear. Not meaning just if you have physical ears, ears on the sides of your head, but if you have ears that actually are able to hear this, you should hear. As the net translation puts it, the one who has ears better listen up. That's a command in there. It says, listen. Some people have ears to hear, and some people don't. That's an important thought. Hold that thought. So what is this first part saying to us? If we connect this, of course, with what's been going on in, in, in the gospel so far, Jesus has been traveling around Galilee, and he's been doing what? He's been preaching. He's been teaching. So we can see pretty easily that that's what that means, that Jesus has been sowing the seed Jesus has been casting the seed of the word of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes people believed it. Sometimes they didn't. Always blows my mind to think about somebody actually hearing the gospel from the lips of Jesus Christ himself and walking away and saying, nah, I just, I, I can't imagine that. But there's more going on and we're going to learn about that. So Jesus is the one. Jesus is the sower, and the seed is the word of God. The seed is the gospel, the message of the kingdom. But before we get ahead of ourselves into, into interpretation, in this section, this, this first nine verses, all we see is what? All we see is Jesus going around and casting the seed. And sometimes it fell where it was going to take root, and sometimes it fell where it wasn't going to take root. So just pull out this first point. We need to plant seeds of the gospel everywhere. We need to plant seeds of the gospel everywhere. This is one of the primary callings of a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
We spread the good news of the gospel everywhere. This is also known as evangelism, right? This is what we do. We tell people, I do it, I hope to do it every week right now, what I'm doing here from this pulpit. I hope to spread the seeds of the gospel. I hope to preach the gospel. I hope to evangelize. But we also do it wherever we are in our own lives. We do it with our neighbors. We do it with our family. We do it with our friends. We do it with moms in our neighborhood. We do it with students in our schools. We do it on social media, wherever we can get an audience. We share the gospel. No Christian gets out of this. This is what we've been commissioned in the Great Commission, which is what we base the mission of the churches. And if we skip to the ending of the story in Matthew 28, which we'll get to probably sometime in mid-2024. Just kidding. Matthew 28, the end before Jesus has he's risen, but before he ascends back in Matthew 28, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, he says baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our marching orders. We spread the seeds of the gospel everywhere, to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But one word of caution. We had better understand what the gospel is before we go spreading it. Sometimes we can truncate it. Sometimes we can misrepresent it. The gospel is not merely Jesus died for your sins. The gospel is not accept Jesus into your heart. The gospel is not Jesus will fix all your problems. The gospel is not Jesus will make you feel better about yourself. The gospel is not just Jesus died for you to go to heaven. Some of these things may be true, they may happen to us to some extent when we become Christians, but in and of themselves, church, they are not the gospel. A truncated gospel doesn't save. It doesn't bear fruit. Those are the seeds that don't go anywhere. And you see in each and every one of those little statements I said, what? The focus is who? Us. We have made the gospel about us especially in American Christianity. And the gospel is not about us. The gospel is about God. And J.I. Packer, who wrote this in 1990, says this, We have during the past century bartered the gospel for a substitute product, which, although it looks similar, is as a whole decidedly a different thing. The chief aim of the old or the traditional gospel was to teach people to worship God. The concern of the new seems to be limited to making them feel better. The subject of the old gospel was God and his ways with men. The subject of the new is man and the help that God gives him. There is a world of difference. We have got to make sure that we know the gospel because there's plenty of churches preaching a false gospel today. Plenty of churches preaching a man-centered gospel instead of a God-centered gospel. The gospel is news. The gospel is the bad news that we have all sinned against God, that we've rejected God, that we have broken our relationship with God, and that we are under the wrath of God for sin. But it's also news in the good news of what God has done to reconcile us back to Him. 
through Jesus Christ, only through Jesus Christ, and only through faith in Jesus Christ. If we are going to plant seeds of the gospel everywhere, we need to make sure we are planting the right seeds. We have to remember that we don't also make those seeds grow, right? Only God makes those seeds grow. We are only the planters. God gives the growth, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. But we've got to know the gospel. We've got to know the full gospel. We can't just truncate it to make it more palatable to our modern culture. The first part of our parable shows us that the seed of the gospel is sown everywhere. Sometimes it takes root, sometimes it doesn't, and Jesus goes on to give us a view as to why that is, and it's all part of the big plan. Look back in Matthew 13 and verse 10. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he, who will, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophet of Isaiah is fulfilled in what he says. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. So, not totally sure here, but it seems like maybe the disciples are in the boat with Jesus. If it's a traditional Galilean fishing boat, they could easily fit 12 people in there, 13 people in there. So it seems like the disciples have kind of set off. We don't have a, a, a setting change or anything, no location change. So it's probably the disciples in the boat with Jesus tugging at his robe saying, um, pst, why, why are you talking like this? <laughs> why are you telling stories about sowers and seeds and things? Why, why are you not speaking clearly? What are you doing? That's weird. Why are you talking like that? Notice they aren't asking him what it meant. They're asking him why he's talking that way. So we assume that they know what it meant. But they want to know why is he talking to them that way. Don't you want to make it a little more clear, Jesus? Like these people aren't very sharp. Maybe you should not talk about seeds and sowing and stuff. Just tell them the gospel. Jesus has a very, very interesting answer. And Jesus answers, because... Or as Mark says in his account, so that, in order that, some will get it and some won't. He says, I'm preaching in this way. I'm preaching in a parable so that those who are supposed to get it will get it. But those who don't, who aren't supposed to get it, will not get it. You guys get it, he says. You guys are my disciples. And certainly, ones who are, he is talking about who don't get it, are the Pharisees and the scribes who have rejected him, who have said, no, this guy's not the Messiah, Jesus. Give us more proof, show us more signs, whatever. You have a demon, all of the stuff they've been saying. But certainly, there were more people in the crowd as well who were listening to him. Others who didn't get it. And Jesus says, these are the secrets, these are, are, are the mysteries of the kingdom of God. That Jesus, in fact, is the Messiah. That's the chief thing that people didn't get. They didn't believe what Jesus said. 
They didn't believe that Jesus was actually God in the flesh. They rejected him as the Messiah. They refused to believe that they needed a Savior and trust in him. That was the mystery, right? All of the Old Testament tells us that there is going to be someone coming, that there is going to be a Messiah that will come, that will save people. But they didn't know who that was. And so the mystery has been revealed to be Jesus. And some people just reject it. When the Bible talks about secrets or mysteries, it always talks about in the sense of not a secret that no one can find out. It is something that has been hidden that is now revealed. Right? The idea of something that was hidden in the Old Testament, but now it has been revealed. That's the secret. That's the mystery. That's what some people reject and some people accept. And that's what some people, through the preaching of the parable, will continue to be hardened and reject or else be softened and understand. This is all part of God's plan to reveal to the mysteries those who will understand. We see it again in Mark chapter 4, verse 22, where he says this, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. The disciples understand the mystery. There are others who do not and won't. What the Pharisees and the scribes have, that little bit that they have, right? The control over Israel, the temple, the sacrifices, the, 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 the place in the feasts, the greetings of rabbis, whatever, all of that is, is going to be taken away from them. What little understanding on the opposite that the disciples have, their little understanding of the gospel, more will be given to them. So they will grow into an abundant knowledge of what? Of the mysteries of who God is. They're going to grow deeper and deeper in their faith. Right now, they only see it in seed form. But can they imagine what they're going to, we imagine what they're going to see as Jesus goes throughout, continues to teach, and then ultimately goes to the cross, and then ultimately is resurrected. They're going to have abundant knowledge of, the, of who Jesus is. This is, Jesus says, why he speaks to them in parables. So it'll be clear to those who understand the gospel and not for those who won't. And then he quotes from Isaiah. And if we read that in context, in Isaiah chapter 6, when we get back to midweek, we'll be starting in Isaiah, Lord willing. Isaiah chapter uh, 6, starting in verse 8, he says, this is Isaiah speaking right after he's just had the vision of seeing the Lord, where he said, woe is me, I'm a dead man because I'm in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Right? And then he says in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me, he says. And he said, Go and say this to the people. He's like, Okay, cool, here's your message. Keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. See, Matthew, Matthew changed it a little bit. Matthew used the, the Septuagint version, which has a little bit different version. But look at what Isaiah says. He says, make the heart of the people dull. This is what Jesus is saying. By the preaching of the gospel, you will make the hearts of some people dull. Their ears will be heavy. Their eyes will be blind. Lest they would, unless they would see with their eyes and hear with their, heart, their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and repent and be healed. God asks Isaiah, he's like, okay, who's going to go? Proclaim the message for me. And Isaiah says, okay, I will. And God says, good, here's your sermon. Preach, but they won't listen. 
That's a terrible sermon. Why would I give that sermon, right? That's what I say. It's like, I don't understand. I don't get it. Preach, but they won't hear. Right? They're going to see, but they're not going to get it. Make sure that their hearts are dull and their ears are stopped up and their hearts are calluses. Not the sermon you'd expect. Why? It's God's plan. It's God's judgment. It's God's, that's the working of the gospel. Israel, in this case, in Isaiah, in context, was in blatant rebellion against God. And he knows that many of them will never turn to him again. They completely rejected God. They completely just worshipped false idols. And they're going to receive judgment for that. Israel did. And in fact, the preaching of the gospel of repentance through Isaiah will only embolden their rebellion even more. And they will receive the judgment that is due them. Jesus then applies this to himself. He says, guess what? I'm quoting Isaiah. This is about me. Right now, this moment, I'm speaking in parables so that those who reject me will continue to reject me. Not everyone will reject him. And Jesus goes there next. Look at verse 16. Back in Matthew 13, he says, But blessed are your eyes, disciples, for they see, and blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you say and see and did not see it. They long to hear what you hear, and they did not hear it. Jesus says, but you guys, you guys get it. You guys see the mystery. You guys understand. Your ears hear and you understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. He said, many prophets have gone before you like Isaiah, and they long to see the mystery revealed, and they didn't see the mystery revealed. They only knew it was coming, so they believed by faith. You guys see it, and you know it, and you understand it. But not everyone will. So here's the unfortunate truth in this, is that the gospel will be rejected by some and accepted by others. The gospel will be rejected by some and accepted by other, others. And why? Because, again, the big picture is it's God's design. This is the doctrine of God's sovereignty in election and salvation. All of salvation is a work of God from beginning to end. And when we inject our own will into the process, we're trying to save ourselves. God is God. And that means that he knows everything, all things, at all times. And he's not surprised in the least when someone comes to faith in him. And he's not surprised in the least when someone rejects him. That's God. That's what he does. He knows who are his children. And he uses evangelism. He uses the church. He uses the planting of gospel seeds and the preaching of his word to either soften some or harden others. We said it a couple weeks ago. We quoted from Ray Ortland, right? The one thing the gospel never does is nothing. It either is going to harden somebody when they hear it preached, or it's going to soften somebody. When, and that's all under God's design. Spurgeon puts it this way. It is an awful thing when God gives people up to spiritual blindness and dullness and hardness. But it does happen. If you hear the word and you refuse to receive it, you do, to that extent, harden your heart. If you continue to do so, you will by degrees lose the capacity for understanding the word. We should all tremble for those who hear the word and do not receive it and yet remain content. That is the worst state of all for anyone to be in. Amen. Jesus says in John 9, 39, For judgment I came into this world 
that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. This is all the work of God. It is hard for me to water this down, and as you can tell, I'm not even trying. These are things that are beyond our full comprehension, but this is what the Bible says, church. I'm just a mailman. I'm just delivering it to you. Well, everybody wants to know why, how, how does that understand? Uh, I don't know. God is God. That's how. Sorry, I don't have a better seminary answer for you. But, but God is God. It's how the book of Acts ends. Paul preaches the gospel and he says, he quotes Isaiah 6, this passage again. And he says, you're going to preach the gospel. You're going to go throughout, and some are going to get it, and some are not. And that's the way it is. Salvation is a work of God from start to finish. It's all a work of God. For the Father planned the work. The Son did the work. The Spirit empowers the work. We are called by God and saved by God. But by God, we are empowered to then persevere to the end when he brings us home. And the message and the life of the gospel. And this smacks again against the modern church that wants to make it all about us. This is why scores of people are calling themselves ex-evangelicals and deconverting from the faith. I was an ex-evangelical and deconverted before it was cool. Now everybody's doing it. But here's the problem. I wasn't saved. So I wasn't, de- I wasn't deconverting from anything. I was deconverting from some cheap evangelical substitution for the real gospel. That's what I was deconverting from. We've got to know the gospel. We've got to understand it, and we've got to know that our God is sovereign. We plant the seeds, but God makes it grow. Can we just maybe take a little sigh of relief when it comes to evangelism then? It's just like, we're not saving anybody. We're not. We just need to be faithful. We need to plant the seeds. Some will accept it. Some won't. And let's play the long game here. Let's remember that those who reject it right now may not reject it 10 years from now, 20 years from now. Maybe God's going to soften their hearts and open their eyes. We don't know. No one knows except God. But we do have that hope. We see it in Isaiah, just that little glimpse of turning and repenting and understanding. Church, we need to be faithful in that, but we need to let God be God. So what of this? Those of us who have truly come to see the truth, we have truly been converted. Those who truly believe Jesus, Jesus says that like the disciples, we are blessed. Did you ever just start your day by thanking God that he has opened your eyes to the gospel? We are blessed. One person prayed one time, and it's always stuck with me. It was just one prayer, and it's always stuck with me. Thank you that I woke up this morning under grace and not under wrath. How about that? We start to think about that. We start to think about the depth of who God is. And God then becomes less of our co-pilot then, doesn't he? God becomes less of somebody that's just going to help us be happy about ourselves or achieve our dreams, right? And God becomes God again. We keep God big and we understand that and we, we live lives of blessing and joy and thankfulness because he has opened our eyes to the gospel. And then we go on and proclaim it. And church, rejoice that we are not under God's wrath, but under his grace. And then we can go on to what true disciples are supposed to do. Bear fruit for God's glory. And that's where Jesus goes next. Look at verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower. So Jesus goes on to explain this parable. He says, when anyone, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. 
This is what was sown along the path. As for the one that was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself and endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for those, or as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Again, the disciples probably already get this, but again, Jesus explains it to them and to us. Verse 19 clarifies point blank that the seed is the word of the kingdom. So we're talking about the spreading of the gospel here. John 1.14, interestingly enough, calls Jesus the word made flesh, remember? Jesus the Logos, the word made flesh. So he, Jesus is the very personification of the word of God, of the plan of God, of the redemption of God, of God in the flesh. And Jesus is right there giving the word, the word giving the word. That'll blow your mind for a little bit, right? Then he reviews all four kinds of soil and the seeds, where they've fallen, and Jesus explains something. He's not really talking about dirt here. It's all a giant metaphor. Dirt is the heart, where the seed actually falls. And there are different kinds of hearts that the gospel seed drops into. First, he says, the seed sown along the path, this is the hard heart. They hear the word and instantly they reject it. And they say, no, the evil one doesn't have any more power than God. This is not, not Satan thwarting God's plan. He comes and snatches the word away. All in the plan of God. And second, the seed sown on the rocky soil, maybe this is the emotional heart. The heart that the gospel is heard, it's received with joy, but doesn't have any root, right? Because of the rock, right? The roots can't grow deep. It's shallow. It's superficial. It's all about worship or uh, worship music and songs about Jesus being my boyfriend or feelings or emotional highs. And as and, and soon as it becomes hard to be a Christian, they're like, I'm out. I got flack for being a Christian at work. I'm done. I, I, can't. I can't. I can't do that. They bail. Spurgeon calls these folks sheep ready to follow, but they have no sincerity. Carson calls them temporary disciples. David Platt compares this to easy believism. Just pray this prayer and you'll be saved. That's all you have to do. That's not the gospel. Become a Christian and God will make all of your dreams come true. That's not the gospel. Anybody who's been walking with Jesus for more than five seconds knows that's not true. Church, it's going to be harder and harder to be a Christian. The culture has rejected God, has turned against God, and therefore turned against us and the church and everything that we believe. And we will see more and more Christians who are not really Christians fall away because of persecution. But they were not saved in the first place because they did not believe the real gospel. They were, they were sold a cheap substitute, an emotional gospel. Third, the seed that's sown in the thorns. This is the unfaithful heart. This is the person that hears the gospel, says, I believe it, but then their lives tell a different story. What drives the bus? Money, career, family, pleasure, comfort, whatever. 
fill in the blanks. Those things are more important. And, and, and just like the weeds or the thorns all around that little plant choke those plants, that's what happens. The cares of life, the worries of life, they take all the strength and all the energy. And so you have no energy left to follow Jesus with. And you're not a real disciple. You fall away. He says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but if you look at my life, there are way other, more, more things that take way more priority in my life. Some of these things can even be good things like kids or sports or leisure or travel or our jobs. But if they're getting in the way of your faithfulness to Jesus and his church, check your priority list. Let me be clear. None of these three people are Christians. Sometimes people say, oh, well, maybe it's just a third seed Christian. There's no third seed Christians. There's no fruit happening here. This person is not a true believer. A believer is one who has Jesus as his top priority in life. There, we see the first person rejects the gospel outright. The next two say they accept it, but they really don't. Other things rule their hearts. It's only the fourth one that, that's where it falls in the good soil. That's the true Christian. The one who has heard the gospel and understands it, and how can we tell? Because it bears a harvest. 30, 60, or 100-fold. It bears fruit. We learned all about fruit, right? A couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, you'll know a tree by its fruit. Right? You'll know a Christian by our fruit. Do we have fruit? Craig Keener pulls no punches when he says, the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. This is the soft heart. This is the heart that knows who they are. This is the heart that knows who God is, and they cling to it with all of their might. Let me ask you, is there a difference in the seed in these scenarios here? It's all the same seed. So the difference is the soil. There's nothing wrong with the seed itself. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. It's where it falls. It's the heart. It's not the seed, it's the soil, and the soil of the heart. And with our hearts, we believe true faith rests in the soil of the heart, and if it's real, it produces fruit. So here's the big idea. True faith grows abundant fruit. True faith grows abundant fruit. Let's, let's relieve some of the pressure here. We're not talking about perfect Christians here, okay? Nobody in this room is a perfect Christian. There are none. We're talking about fruitful Christians, we're talking about faithful Christians. We're talking about soft-hearted Christians. A true faith grows abundant fruit. We should see fruit. Our bank accounts should be larger. No, false. We should see fruit. We should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, all of those things. Love, we should see those things in ever-increasing measure. We should see people attracted to our lives. And wanting to know the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We should see those things happening. We should see fruit on our branches. And so, of course, the question is, is this you, are you a fruitful Christian? Notice that there's different levels of fruitfulness, right? There's 30, there's 60, there's 100. Not everyone has the same gifts. Not everyone has the same opportunities. Not everyone has the same plan that God's going to give them. But we're all bearing fruit, church. We don't get out of bearing fruit, but we all have different levels. 
Every true disciple will bear fruit, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of sickness, even in the midst of tribulation or persecution or whatever else is going on, we're still bearing fruit. Maybe we're not bearing 100, maybe we're bearing 30, but we're still bearing fruit. True disciples bear abundant fruit. One more quote from you this morning, or for you this morning. Matthew Henry says this, it's just too good. He says, that which distinguished this good ground from the rest was in one word, fruitfulness. He does not say that this good ground has no stones in it. He doesn't say that it doesn't have any thorns in it. But there were none that prevailed to hinder his fruitfulness. Church, be encouraged. We know the soil of our hearts, as good and fertile as it can be, is still going to have stones of sin in it. It's going to have thorns that are going to grow up of idolatry, that are going to try to distract us. It's not the perfect heart. It's the fruitful heart. It's the faithful heart. It's the soft heart. Be encouraged. Look for evidence of fruit in your lives. Here's one. Point out evidence that you see of fruit in other people's lives. That's a great thing to do for our families, in our care groups, in our Bible studies. I try to do that with the, the men's leadership group that I'm doing. Right? We try to point out evidence and just say, I saw this in you. I saw this fruit in you. It's so encouraging to do that. Let me ask you, what is going on in your heart right now? Is it hardened to the gospel? Have you rejected it outright? If you're here and you have, thank you for coming. Love to talk about the gospel. I know that you're, you're, you're still coming and you're still here, so thank you for that. Do you think that you've accepted it, but maybe you've really actually only accepted a cheap substitute of American Christianity in it? of emotion, of what God can do for me? Maybe you think you've accepted, but you've really uh, relegated Jesus to the back of the bus. And said, Jesus, you know, thanks for taking care of that eternal life problem for me. I really didn't want to go to hell, but just have a seat in the back of the bus um, and, you know, somewhere behind sports and leisure and hunting and family and jobs and kids and travel and everything else. Just stay back there. Don't really, don't really upset the apple cart that much. Where is the soil cultivated? It's cultivated in our hearts. It's cultivated right here in the church. It's what God's given to cultivate the soil of our hearts. Elders are responsible to have the right soil, the right mix of teaching, preaching, prayer, doctrine. The families, specifically dads, how is the soil of your home? Are you the spiritual? You, you are the spiritual leaders of your family, like it or not, dads. If you're preparing to be a dad, that's you too. What is the soil of your home? Is it one of grace and truth? Is it one that's centered on Jesus? What do we do when someone rejects the gospel? You don't want to unashamedly preach God, the gospel of election and sovereignty in their face at that moment. You don't do that. Well, you're obviously not elect. You didn't reject, you rejected the gospel, so sayonara. No, God's playing the long game here, right? We don't know. There'll be people in eternity that we are really surprised they're there, but God will bring them home if they are his. Only God knows if a seed will truly take root. Ours is to spread the seed everywhere, to pray that God would give it 
life and growth, but realize, too, that not everyone will accept the gospel. We do not, so to be encouraged, church, keep planting the seeds of the gospel, keep watering the seeds of them in our prayer hopelessly because we know we serve a big God who that's how he accomplishes his plan. So go, spread the gospel, plant the seeds, pray for God to water them, pray for him to give them growth. God may give growth and then we will receive the rewards of our faithfulness, that abundant fruitfulness that we see in God. We have much to pray for, don't we? That we pray that God would give us that true faith, that God would give us that abundant fruitfulness, that God would show us opportunities to spread the seed of the gospel, but most of all, that the gospel would take root in people's hearts, and that's a work of God and brings glory to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. This word, Lord, it is such a well-known parable, but it's so deep, Lord. Help us to absorb this. Help us as we, as we meet in small groups or as we talk about it over lunch or wherever, Lord, that we would grow to understand this more and more. Lord, we ask you to give the growth. We ask you to save people. We ask you to open the eyes of the blind and unstop the ears, your children, that they would know, that they would recognize the gospel, that they would respond to it, Lord. Let us be faithful in knowing the gospel and proclaiming the gospel and giving all glory to you for whom it's due for the salvation of, of those, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.